Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 19th of June, 2022, 9.30 service. Tim Davis speaking in the series, The Fruit of the Spirit, Gentleness. Morning, everyone. Um, at the start of the year, as uh, that sort of annual excitement in the film industry, uh, as the nominations get announced for the uh, annual Oscars Awards, and over the weeks leading up to it, various film critics uh, take turns to say who, why they think a particular film should win the Oscars that year, and particularly why a particular film should win the most coveted category of best picture. Uh, and of course, there are always one or two films, I think, which are hot favourites each year. You know, this year was probably uh, Dune and West Side Story and The Power of the Dog that people thought would win. Uh, and sometimes it's a bit of a surprise. Um, and you could say there was one a bit this year. I don't know if anyone remembers back to sort of January, February in the Oscars. Uh, but Coda, uh, this film was only nominated for three awards and it won all three of them, including Best Picture. Um, as well as being the first streaming service film to win Best Picture. So it's quite a, yeah, a monumental thing there. Uh, but you can always be certain whenever the Oscars come around, you know there's a couple of films which are clearly not going to win. They're kind of always going to be the bottom picks of any critic. Uh, I suppose this year you could have said like Nightmare Alley could have been that particular type of film. Uh, does anyone remember the film Nightmare Alley? Exactly, that's why it was never going to win Best Picture. Uh, but still, some film critic will always write a piece saying why they think Night Nightmare Alley, for example, deserves to win Best Picture at the, uh, at the Oscars. Um, and I, you know, I think it's a bit tempting to see this series, looking at the fruit of the spirit, um, a bit like that, especially when we get towards the tail end of the list of the fruit of the spirit. These nine characteristics, or segments, as I like to call them, uh, of the fruit of the spirit. Like the Oscar nominations, there are some heavyweights everyone knows, but others... Yeah, I remember back at the start of this series, um, I asked everyone in both our congregations uh, in the morning services if they could list all of the fruit of the Spirit, and everyone struggled. You know, you get love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, something like that. Um, and I think gentleness is one of those ones, if you try to list the fruit of the Spirit, you'd probably forget is there. Um, and it's easy to forget or overlook. But then again, here I am waving my flag for gentleness this morning uh, and why it should win this picture at the Oscars or something like that. Um, but of course, it's not a competition, is it? It's not actually the best of the fruit of the Spirit, is it? Each of these are characteristics that we need to display in our lives that are evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in us, living in us. God's presence in every part of our daily life. That's why this is such an important series to look at. That's why each of these characteristics are so vital. And we need to be displaying each of these characteristics, these virtues in our everyday life. We need to understand how we evidence them in ourselves and how we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. And that's where, in preparation for this talk, which I did a few years ago, uh, I got pretty stuck. I remember at the time, uh, Anna Larkin saying to me, I'll be interested to hear what you're going to say about gentleness, as it's kind of difficult to know exactly what gentleness is. And I was like, yeah, Anna, you and me too. Yeah. Um, you know, how does one do gentleness? I can do love. I can show patience and self-control, mostly. Um, but how do I do gentleness in my everyday life? You know, what do you think of when you think of the word gentleness? 
often the first thoughts are of something a bit wet, a bit soppy, a bit gentle. Something that's the opposite of fierce or strong. I remember thinking these uh, two immediate examples, and this shows my age, so apologies if any of these mean nothing to you. Uh, but firstly, I thought of a Care Bear. Uh, ladies here, who owned a Care Bear when they were young? Men. Anyone here owned a Care Bear when, when admit to it? I didn't, definitely not. Um, yeah, Care Bears, they were gentle, weren't they? And secondly, I thought of uh, Basil Fotherington Thomas. Now, this is something which might be a bit obscure. He is the utterly wet boy from the Molesworth books. Does anyone here know Molesworth? I can see right, straight away. Thank you. Um, here he is uh, as Molesworth, the main protagonist of the Molesworth books, describes him. Skipping like a girly, he is utterly wet and a sissy. He reads chatterbox cheers, and we suspect that he keeps dollies at home. Anyway, his favourite character is little Lord Fauntleroy, and when I say he have a face like a tomato, he reply, I forgive you, Molesworth, for those uncouth words. Wet, sissy, gentle. That's what we can perhaps think of when we try and describe gentleness. The other thing I actually thought of was uh, Gentle Ben. Uh, does anyone remember the TV series Gentle Ben? Again, showing my age here. Um, uh, not the original time around. <laughs> um, this was actually produced in the 60s in America and shown over here kind of endlessly on repeat in the 80s when I was growing up. Uh, and it was about this intensely irritating young boy who somehow happened to have a pet grizzly bear and lived in the Everglades in Florida, you know, as you do. Uh, and this in itself was not the most remarkable thing about this series, no. Uh, what was remarkable was that somehow every week this boy and his pet grizzly bear would foil criminals and solve criminal cases that somehow eluded the local police force. Um, this boy would drag Gentle Ben around with him everywhere to his whine of, Bean, Bean, come on, Bean. Uh, and by the end of the show, it would always be Ben who would end up stopping the criminals by getting on his hind legs and turning from this placid, gentle bear into this fearsome, savage creature that he naturally was. The poacher or bank robber or escaped convict, whoever it was who was a criminal that week, would understandably be cowering beneath this terrifying animal, scared for their lives. And so once again, harmony was restored to the Everglade community. Uh, I think just once I'd have kind of liked to have seen Ben kind of go off script and go completely nuts at this annoying kid. You know, Bean, come on Bean, there's some dynamite going missing from the quarry, let's go investigate. And Ben just refuses to go, he gets on his hind legs and says, or rather growls, no, I'm sick of this ridiculously hot climate and this ineffectual police force whose job I seem to continuously be doing. The salmon are sporing up in Alaska, that's where I'm heading for the summer. And with a sweep of his paw, he just clouts this annoying kid out of the way. But of course, Ben didn't ever do that. He was gentle Ben. He would never hurt that child. And that's actually, weirdly, uh, a good place, I think, to start with how we can understand gentleness. Because gentleness is perhaps best understood when seen, when demonstrated in contrast to anger. Several years ago, there was um, a poster campaign around Easter time portraying Jesus using a classic image as Marxist revolutionary Che Guevara with the tagline, meek, mild, as if. And it particularly um, caused a bit of controversy. You know, Jesus was the model of the gentle saviour, the kind, compassionate, caring person. He wasn't some warrior. 
And yet the one who told people to turn the other cheek was not a pushover either. Jesus could be decisive on occasion, knowing when action was required. He didn't placidly sit back and watch the world go by, not interfering or upsetting anyone. He got stuck in. And the story that I think best illustrates this is the one we had read earlier, when Jesus entered the outer courts of the Jerusalem temple and found that they were full of people selling animals for sacrifices required by the ordinary Jews as part of the religious rituals required of them at the time. And this also required a large money-changing business in the temple because the temple had its own currency that was needed for these purchases. In the original um, inspiration uh, of the temple structure, this area was supposed to be a place where non-Jews could come and pray. And yet instead, it had been turned into a marketplace for profit. In Jesus' eyes, not only was this abusing the focus of the temple, it was also excluding non-Jews from seeking God. He took action and did so with some force. He turned over the money-changing tables. He opened the cages and set the sacrificial birds and animals free. And then with rope used like a whip, he chased out the merchants, declaring, Get these out of here! How dare you turn my father's house into a market! Meek, mild, as if. Gentleness is not about sitting on the sidelines. Sometimes we need to be angry. Jesus, you know, he didn't shuffle into the temple and say, would you please awfully mind not doing that? No, instead he was like, what are you doing? Stop. This is wrong. This is an abomination. Get out. And so in seeing how Jesus, the, the model of kindness, compassion, gentleness, could also be angry, do we start to understand more of what it means to display the characteristic of gentleness? You know, it's not about being wet or soppy, but is gentleness simply anger management? No, of course not. It's, it's easy to see gentleness when looked at in contrast to anger, so perhaps it's the self-control of anger. But of course, that's not what gentleness is. That's self-control, which Stephen's going to be speaking on next week. And that gentleness is not a defensive response to our anger. It is itself a primary characteristic of having the Holy Spirit in us. It's standalone. Like all the other characteristics, it's something we need to actively demonstrate in our lives. You know, we can be gentle whilst being able to take action, as Jesus did. But it's the way we are towards other people, our attitude towards them, that can perhaps be the best demonstration of this characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit. In the other reading that we heard from 1 Kings, God appears to Elijah, but in doing so, he makes this really important point. The people of Israel had pretty much rejected God, and Elijah claims that he's the only one he knows who has remained loyal to God. What do you want me to say? What message of destruction shall I tell them, Lord? He seems to be suggesting. So God tells him to go and wait on the mountain for his answer. And there's this great and powerful wind, but God is not in the wind. There's an earthquake shaking the world, but God is not in the earthquake. And then there's a raging fire burning away, but God is also not in the fire. God came in a gentle whisper that followed. And in doing so, he was giving Elijah 
a powerful metaphor, the answer to what Elijah was seeking. God is the most powerful force that we can know, the most, most potentially terrifying force in all existence. God can be powerful like a mighty wind or an earthquake or a fire, but he can also be gentle. The people of Israel deserved punishment. They deserved the winds, the earthquake, the fire. And yet God is also able to be gentle. Look at me, Elijah's saying. I've been good, not like all those ungrateful Israelites. A good dose of punishment is what they need. You're right, says God. They do deserve that. But I am the one who decides the punishment. And so we have a glimpse of the future gentleness that was to come. God is gentle with us. There's a gentleness towards us in God's act of salvation. We deserved so much worse. But what did we get? We get God's grace, God's forgiveness by Jesus taking the place for our punishment. Now, I didn't become a Christian by being frog-marched into a room, shown distressing pictures of Christ being crucified, shouted at by a bunch of angels saying, do you see? Do you understand? You must repent. You have no choice. God, this, God did this because he loves you. He loves you. You must love God. No. I heard God's message of love, of forgiveness, of grace. My heart wept with sorrow at Christ's suffering and with joy at his victory over death. We're fragile beings, and ultimately God is gentle with us. In Psalm 103, um, the writer speaks about this. I'm going to read you some verses. The Lord is merciful and loving, slow to become angry and full of constant love. He does not keep on rebuking. He's not angry forever. He does not punish us as we deserve or repay us according to our sins and wrongs. As high as the sky is above the earth, so great is his love for those who honour him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our sins from us. As a father is kind to his children, so the Lord is kind to those who honour him. He knows what we are made of. He remembers that we are dust. As for us, our life is like grass. We grow and flourish like a wild flower. Then the wind blows on it, and it is gone, and no one sees it again. But for those who honour the Lord, his love lasts forever, and his goodness endures for all generations of those who are true to his covenant and who faithfully obey his commands. I can't think of a better way to try and understand gentleness than that description of God in that psalm. God is gentle with us. He could judge us, punish us, have nothing more to do with us, but instead, he chooses to love us, forgive us, welcome us. Uh, Henry Francis Light, in the hymn, Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven, that he wrote, uses these words, Father-like, he tends and spares us. Well, our feeble frame he knows. In his hands, he gently bears us, rescues us from all our foes. God is a good, gentle father, caring for his tender child that he loves so much. He doesn't fly off the handle and get angry. He sees us as the fragile, delicate beings we are. And instead, 
He is compassionate, kind, forgiving in his gentleness to us. That's what gentleness encompasses, all of those things. Gentleness, being careful with the things and the people around us that are important, that are precious, that are fragile. When I learned to drive a car, um, and this may sound familiar to many of you, uh, the words I would frequently hear from my dad when I first started were, gently, gently. He wanted me to be careful, gentle with something precious. How are we to display gentleness in our everyday lives? Where is gentleness in our lives? You know, and believe it or not, thinking back to gentle Ben, this powerful, strong, grizzly bear who was gentle to those around him. You know, think of how a lioness carries her young in her jaws. She's so powerful, yet she gently cares for her young. We must display gentleness in our lives, in how we treat others. As a parent, we may need to ensure we show gentleness when we discipline our children. And the same goes for how we react to people in other parts of our lives. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Gentleness is the embodiment of forgiveness, of compassion, of kindness. It's a characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit that needs to be actively displayed, not passively, but is not about being rash or aggressive. When we display the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, that is when God's glory is seen in this world. And so I'm just going to finish with some words that Jesus spoke, which I think really sum this up. He said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Amen.